0: The Bucs got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits. At the big ball, East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Under Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Bucs win. Balls spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones a game winner. On they got game. him, if he catches it, it's over, ball game! Touchdown, Juan Stinson! 25 yards, J.J. German for the win. He got it! J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs!
1: And the sidekick.
0: hello to my friend!
1: What's your name, man? I told you! It somebody. doesn't matter what your name is! You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent.
2: It's Sandos and the Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. And on a Monday morning, Sandos and the Sidekick back in the studio. Jay Sandos along shortly as today we talk ETSU men's basketball over Mercer. ETSU women's basketball, a tough result against UNCG. Really locked down defense, what they play seemingly game in and game out. We'll talk about them in segment two. Fail downs, and it is a very eclectic, loaded, packed and festive fail downs in segment three today. And then of course in segment four, things that lack awesomeness are bold predictions. And we will talk about those with Jay Sandos as well. And make fun of ourselves, make fun of each other, make fun of the XFL, except maybe not make fun of the XFL. The XFL is probably making fun of us, considering Jay Sandos's bold prediction. And my I don't know New York Guardian coming up with about. a massive yeah. victory, about. twenty-three to three, a drubbing, a clotheslining, a power bombing. And over-the-top rope knockdown Dragon affair in checking. which your it, Tampa Bay Vipers
0: are much like the Tampa Bay Rays, hapless, helpless, and hopeless. I'm uh, actually trying to see if there's already a fire Mark Cressman's site. There is not. I mm. may start that. I'm very upset with what he's been doing.
2: Well, clearly the team itself uh, was upset with him, and he was upset with them. And there's dysfunction already week one, and clearly the season for you is pretty much over. Also, by the way, before we get into men's basketball, on Wednesday we'll have a chat with head coach Joe Panucci. We've been teasing it for a week or so now, very busy time of year for Coach Panucci. He was able to stop by this morning before we taped today's episode, talk for 15 or 20 minutes about Toledo this coming weekend, the two squads he's had the past two years and his first two here, and he'll also talk about the makeup and identity of this year's squad, which is very heavy on Tennessee recruits and also very heavy on Walter State Community College recruits and is headlined by Landon Nag and Jackson Greer, the starting pitcher and starting catcher for night one against Toledo. That's this Friday, 4 o'clock, Thomas Stadium.
0: Yeah, I can't wait. Nothing says baseball like Valentine's Day. It's always sort of been that way, Uh, and I enjoy it. i got to be honest. It's usually – I'm really good about making the – opening day and then i get back in a lull of basketball as you can imagine and then i like to go back after that uh, especially since now i make you do the games and i get a chance to sit and watch more uh as opposed to work so it's been uh i cannot wait uh we've already got a couple planned tailgates from uh, a couple buddies of mine we're going to sit out there in left field and enjoy it i think coach panucci curious to see how the staff sort of takes shape and i know you'll probably talk to him more about that and also good to see uh some Walter state guys and um uh, Stephanie Shelton, the women's golf coach, her husband, uh, who was an assistant here at ETSU for a while, is the head man here at Walter State. Good to see a little bit of a tie, because there are a lot of local uh, kids, or at least northeast. And by northeast, I mean like Knoxville East uh, players at Walter State that are, that should be able to come over and contribute. And of course, they're nationally ranked and playing for a junior college national championship, or at least have been in there for uh, a while now. So clearly, some talented players there, and I'm looking forward to the start of the baseball season. That being said, we still got basketball. We saw ETSU men's basketball on the road at Mercer. uh, Down not just Jerome Rodriguez, but down Patrick Good out with the family matter. Should be back with the team on Wednesday, from what I've been told. And then Bo Hodges decides to foul out in about 13 seconds of the second half.
2: And here's Coach Forbes on that and more.
1: Tremendous defensive effort the whole game. Again, more of an identity win. Gritty, Grammy, and tough. Found a way to win. Got
2: through some adversity.
1: Adversity that, you know, without Pat being here and then something that I created and not completely my fault for not getting Bo out of the game with four fouls. I mean, you got three fouls and one possession. I've never seen that happen. But the basketball IQ play on his part is when you have four fouls, you can't take a charge. You know, and the same thing with Tisdale getting his fourth. I mean, just let the guy make the layup. So, anyway, I take the blame. It's my job to get him out didn't get him out on time. and we, we survived a bullet there. But credit to our players you know, for fighting through adversity and, and, and winning a tough game on the road. You know, If you think about it, Lowe's going to play a half. Jeromey's not going to play. Pat's not going to play. Tisdale's going to have four fouls. You say you're going to win, the team would just beat us. I probably wouldn't say so, but
2: they found a way to do it. Have you ever seen someone pick up three fouls in 14 seconds?
0: Not not of a star caliber if you will. I, I'm sure there's been a backup somewhere that's come in, and just mauled people. And, or maybe take out the, uh, hey, it's, you know, 10 seconds to go in the game and we need a foul lot. Like, like legitimately in the game, 12 and a half to go. Some, I've not. And I think the problem was when he picked up his fourth was the most questionable call of them all. The, the other ones I, I didn't think were really that bad. I mean, you could argue, oh, was it, was it not. But, I mean, the fourth one was the odd one because uh, – Brett Smith uh, made the call. Coach Forbes lost his mind. And Brett makes a motion as if Bo hit him in the face. Coach is arguing with Brett. Then you could kind of see everyone kind of motioning to Coach. There's four fouls. And then he turns around and he yells for Tisdale. Tisdale gets up, and then they realize he's got four fouls. So they got to tell him to sit down. And then I think, you know, they still had three timeouts. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, hindsight, whatever, if they shouldn't have just screamed for a timeout to figure it out. When they finally got Bonnie to the table, the ball had been inbounded, and then Coach is right. From that point, it goes from the staff not being able to get him out to Hodges knowing that they're going to go at you with four fouls, plus you just picked up two, plus they've not gone your way, and he steps up to take a charge, which is at best a 50-50 play regardless. You're also dealing with the weird block charge arc that he was in, and I'm just, it's a 10-point lead with 12.30 to go. I think at that point in time, you all, you basically tell your team you're going to play 5-on-4 on defense. Like, I'm going to kind of sort of guard somebody, but if they touch the ball, I'm going to olay them, and I've got to just stay in the game. And even though his guy didn't have the ball, the guy, you could hear the staff go at 3 for Mercer, and he goes right at Hodges, and Hodges steps up, try to take a charge, and next thing I know, he's out of the game. Like, I, I think... And I like that coach took blame there because you got to figure out how to get him out of the game, like help him from himself. But you still, being the player of the caliber of Bohat, is you've got to know you've got four fouls. With 12 and a half minutes to go, in a game that certainly wasn't over when you're up 10, I think you have to get out of the way, let him score, who cares, and then run the other end of the floor and just wait for a whistle to get you out of the game. Like, to to me, if he fouled out charging at least – that would be better than trying to take a charge. It would have been great, but it would have been better. But I liked the fact that the team didn't panic. I think ultimately that's what I liked about this was the fact that they didn't panic. They were able to kind of overcome that, and different guys stepped up, and Trey Boyd had a typical Trey Boyd second half.
2: Dmitry did his thing, 22 points, Ethan Steyer 19, but the rest of the team for Mercer just 19 points, and you take out the 12 for 30, which still isn't good from Dmitry Ivich and Stare. that's 40%, and only 8 field goals and 26 attempts for the rest of Mercer. Boyd, all 15 of his points in the second half. ETSU shoots 61% from the floor in the second 20 minutes. It's the 10th time... This season, that ETSU has shot 50% or above their fifth time in the last seven games, which really does highlight the fact that the offensive struggles, while they were difficult to watch sometimes, not the prettiest basketball we've seen. Now, keep in mind, the Bucks did come out with a couple of wins in that three- or four-game offensive struggle, but those have faded away and led to really their best offensive stretch if you look holistically over a seven-game period of this season.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's the the – it's the – thing it sort of made him go all season, right? Just just the commitment to that end of the floor. And then for Dmitryvich, let me just say it's about him. I I've watched him a couple times and I didn't think he was the type of guy that rabbit hunted for points. But there was a point in time where he was so frustrated and everything that it was all about him and his points. And you could see Coach Greg Gary sort of wear him out on that. And then he was wearing out the officials so much to the point to where Greg Gary actually looked at him and said, this is why you're not getting the call. Like, you've turned around and yelled at officials, which I thought they took a, a, a good tongue-lashing from them. one time. I, I, I can't believe they didn't. I don't know they should have gave him a technical, but at least, like, hey, guy, like, calm down. You can't talk to me that way. But, you know, the way Stare started the game, the way Dmitry Ivich, um kind of went at it, and to me, you can live with that. What cost the Bucks the first time was seeing all the other guys hit field goals. But if you hold the rest of the team, they hit field goals. And I think that's been the, the staple of this team holding another team on their home floor under their shooting percentage just to 60 points. And it was really a struggle to get to there. Mercer got a couple buckets late when it really didn't matter. So I think defensively, ETSU after the first Mercer loss uh, and then, of course, the second half of that Chattanooga game, they've really picked it up on the defensive end, and if they're going to win a title in Asheville, I think that's what's going to win them the title.
2: Four players in double figures, Boyd, Hodges, Goussaint, and Williamson. When he's
1: aggressive, he's really good. You know, Now, we maybe turned it over a little bit more than what we've been turning it over, but 12 <laughs> still acceptable, but some of that's being aggressive, you know, and, and then Trey showed up, you know, I don't know what it is about Trey in the second half, but When we needed some baskets, he made some big baskets. And I'm telling you right now, a couple of those he got fouled on too. He was in a groove, and our guys did a really good job of finding him.
2: That's on Davian Williamson and Trey Boyd. And with Hodges out and Good out and Rodriguez out, you needed the big second half from Boyd. And you've talked about kind of semi-jokingly at Freedom Hall how Boyd prefers one end of the floor. But regardless of which end of the floor he prefers and what building, it seems like the half that he prefers is the second.
0: Yeah, I don't know what the difference is, but you know, when it becomes money time, he has been that. He has been unbelievable. I made a, a joke with somebody um that as soon as he had halftime, I said, Oh, you know, I guess I guess we'll just expect the sixteen from Trey in the second half. And he got fifteen and I crushed him in a text. I was like, Oh, Trey, come on, you're better than that. Can't get the one more for me. But fifteen second half points and he coaches right. He hit two or three shots when the Bucks needed him, high degree of difficulty. And the dead center of the heart, nothing but net. And you know, and the thing about Trey, kind of like Cromer and some of the other great, like the you know Courtney Pegram, they've got a little swagger to them, especially on the road. You know, they kind of thrive in hitting that big shot and turning around the student section, and sort of shushing the crowd, even if they really don't put their fingers to the lips to shush a crowd, but they kind of give that stare to them, and they got that killer instinct, and the Bucks needed it. And I thought for Lucas Gasson, I think, again, th- th- these games are great for him because it's more of a traditional game, and you see what he can do against traditional teams. Like Wednesday and Saturday coming up this week are going to be tough because he's going to have to try to play against the Citadel, which doesn't play traditional basketball. Then you got VMI, doesn't really play pr- traditional basketball, and the academies really can't for a lot of reasons. But you look at 13 points on five shots, five of seven from the line, you know, he had six rebounds. I mean, he was just in his element, and he was part of the reason because he made the adjustment from the previous game that Bafuto goes 0 for 2 from the floor, Bender goes 2 for 4, but one of those buckets wasn't even when Goussan was on the floor. And, honestly, it was a nice little alley-oop play they had designed. So, um, I-, I thought Goussan was, was tremendous, and Davy Williamson just continues to be a stud. And I don't, whatever happened, uh, you know, in the middle of the year is over with, and now he's picked up his play, and – him going to the rim of Reckless Abandon is great. He also was able to knock down a key three in the second half that the Bucks desperately needed as well.
2: I'd say the most succinct offensive part of the game was from the seven-minute mark to the five-minute mark in the second half. Both teams going blow for blow, Vonnie Patterson, then, a moment that worried me the Diego Rivera jumper as time expired in the shot clock which it sounded like they just couldn't quite overturn and the maybe 50-50 call as it kind of sounded like goes Mercer's way and then it's back and forth again and then Dimitrijevic cuts it to five with 344 to go and then you get the media timeout after Trey Boyd hits a mid-range jumper it's a seven point game but uh, I think closer than the final score indicated that being said who's going to win the contest oftentimes in tight games is dictated by who can finish the game on a run, who performs in crunch time, and that was clearly
0: a TSU. Yeah, I thought every time the Bucks needed to make a bucket when Mercer was kind of pushing them, they did. And I think that was key. And, and you look at it, the last 12-30, you, you didn't have his coach. You didn't have Rodriguez. Of course, he hadn't played in a while. You didn't have Pat Good, wasn't on the trip. Hodges had fouled out, and you still didn't have Tisdale on the floor because he's sitting there on four fouls. And it was unbelievable. It was whoever they needed to step up, stepped up and, and played, you know, and I thought Vonnie Patterson, uh, you know, the seven points, four rebounds, but what he did defensively in 24 minutes was impressive. You know, Hughley was in there sparingly, and he still had five rebounds in 11 minutes. So I I thought everyone sort of knew their role, knew what they were supposed to do, and you know, uh, guys that needed to score did. Guys that needed to rebound and play defense did, and they they hung together. That was the most impressive thing about the win against Mercer. You mentioned
1: Viney. Coach
2: appreciated his effort as
0: well.
1: You can get seven points out of him, that's winning, because he's a tremendous defender. The key to um, Bender and bafuto had five points and had, what, 23 at our place. There, there's a
2: lot of the game right there, too. So a little bit on Vonnie and how he changed the game and then the fact that the bigs, like we discussed on Friday and then you talked a little bit about earlier in this show, really weren't as effective as they were when Mercer came in here and won 71-55 at Freedom Hall, uh, what is now, I think, what, 12, 13 day, uh, game, days ago. excuse me. Um, you look at the numbers, and, and you mentioned it. I mean, the Bucks played eight players they're without good, without Rodriguez. Then without Hodges in the last twelve minutes, you're down to seven. Charlie Weber only played five, so that puts you at six. And then Tisdale's got four fouls. That could take like kinda of half a guy. So five, five and a half guys down the stretch, but they still managed to find a way. And I don't think you or me had any doubt that the result would go this way. Did a little bit creep in, maybe, when that Diego Rivera jump shot went in and it was upheld on replay. Okay, sure. Uh maybe. Uh but that being said, uh, when we entered the contest and the conviction in Steve Forbes' voice post-game Wednesday, I thought this would be a lot more one-sided of a game, but regardless, how you get the win is how you get it, and it is redemption, revenge, whatever you want to call it.
0: 39 minutes for Trey Boyd. That's, uh, I believe, a career-high for him. And then I thought, look, the 34 minutes for Lucas Gasol, you know, that's usually, that's a high number for him, you know? I, and uh, shows you what good a shape he's in. I mean, both those guys didn't really waver. 37 minutes for Davian Williamson, a guard, point guard especially. You're not really, you know, I know Coach likes to rotate those guys in. It's above his normal minutes played, but you expect a point guard to be able to go. But Trey really, you know, is kind of hanging around that, that 28, 30 minutes, give or take, average, I believe, on the season going into that game. He got 39 in. And so when guys needed to play more extended minutes, And Trey Boyd had to know, especially with the foul out, he wasn't going to get much of a breather at that point in time. And Lucas Gasan knew he was just getting a couple of breathers. You know, that was one time where uh, there wasn't Hughley Orgasaw on the floor. And, And you're sitting there looking about how small could you go, and ETSU was able to do so. So I thought, again, just outstanding effort, free throw shooting, 20 of 28. Here's another thing. They forced 16 turnovers in the contest off 10 steals and 8 of those steals were guys literally just putting a hand up in the passing lane, not even looking at the ball and just being in the right spot and Mercer kind of blindly catching and throwing and hitting the defender's hands and I think if nothing else they gave confidence to ETSU to continue just to sort of put their hands up in the passing lane and I hope that continues because those were cheap steals where guys weren't gambling, they weren't uh, deflecting a ball away while a guy's dribbling, it's just while the ball's in transit, they're you know, sort of how you're supposed to stay between ball and man, right? And they just held their arm out, ball hit their arm, and boom, they went the other way. So I'm kind of hoping that ETSU does more of that.
2: It was a career high in minutes for Trey Boyd's 39. Also a career high in minutes for Lucas Goussaint with those 34. And what's kind of lost in our conversations over the last three or four weeks, because he's just been so consistent, maybe not spectacular, but consistent. Lucas Goussaint had four double figure games in his first, what, 15 or so? The last eight. He's been in double figures, eight straight, and he's 15 of his last 19 from the floor in the last three. We know he's a high-percentage shooter, but over the last three games with the 15 makes and 19 attempts, 71%, 86%, and then 80% against Mercer from the field. That's taking things kind of to a whole other level, and he also had five free-throw conversions tied for second most down the year.
0: I, I think the, the impressive part is really how skilled he is down low and the variety of moves that he has. He had a big sweeping hook that... So, that threw, uh, I'm trying to think, I, I think it was Bender was on him at the time, but Bender was waiting for him to stop and kind of turn to the other shoulder, and he just kept going with this running hook. And you can tell that he definitely was not looking for a hook shot at that point in time. He was looking for something else. But, so the variety of ways that Lucas is able to score, especially when he gets fouled, that's the other thing. I mean, you, you feel really good when he gets fouled going to the free throw line. And another five for seven day there. So big win for ETSU 7360. Next up for them, Citadel on Wednesday. We'll preview that coming up on Wednesday's episode of Santos and the Sidekick. We'll turn our attention to women's basketball for this time. Out your work, Santos Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Brightridge to match our vision. To deliver on our promise of great service you can count on. Embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge. New name. Renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Sanderson, the sidekick back with you, talking ETSU women's basketball. They were in Brooks Gym, the second of two home games against the Carolina schools. They defeated West Carolina on Thursday, took on North Carolina Greensboro on Saturday, and I don't know what it is about the first quarter against the Spartans, but the Bucs, the the minus for two games in the first quarter is plentiful, and it was, again, 18-7 start of the game, and ETSU... Uh, had a hard time recovering from that
2: yeah let's just be very perfectly honest and clear about it not gloss over the second quarter either 11 to 4 UNCG outscored the box. it was 29 to 11 at the half and three of those points were for Micah Sheets as time expired banking in a three from 25 feet from the left wing in the second quarter so without that it would have been 11 to 1 and eight points at the half needless to say the offense was really really struggling they went over 14 minutes without a field goal and over 12 minutes without a point. So when you have the kind of defensive team across from UNCG that you do and you know they're going to be able to take away a lot of your top options, and we've known for quite some time that Micah Sheets, her Achilles heel tends to be long athletic teams, and even though UNCG was missing one of their longer, more athletic players, and Aja Boyd, uh, she was a late scratch, and all I was able to glean from it, I went up to their coaching staff and said, "Uh, injury, illness, and they said, yep. (laughs) <laughs> so
0: I love those. Sure. Couldn't yeah. get a whole lot okay. of detail right.
2: on it. Yeah, so I just rolled with that. But uh, Micah did struggle, and unfortunately that 22-game consecutive double-digit scoring streak is over. She had nine points. It was like I think two or three minutes left in the third quarter but couldn't get that last one uh, as UNCG uh, outscored the box by one in the fourth quarter. It ended up being 65-45. to Here's some good news. Ty Kimbrough did return uh, now up until game time, pretty much right until game time it was a question mark as to If she'd play she was right on the fence as to whether she'd be able to put in good minutes Um, ended up playing 13 which is solid but didn't get a field goal didn't get a point did have four rebounds Um, and also two other returners Jada Craig was able to go granted for only three minutes and Ariel Harvey is the one that was really surprising we talked about on the show on Friday that was probably another you know two or three weeks until it was even a possibility that she came back, but as it turned out, the health report on her a little bit better than was previously discussed. Um, wasn't a cartilage damage in that ankle. So if there was cartilage damage, they would have had to keep her out for an extended period of time. She's able to return eight minutes, but again, the three that came back zero combined points, zero of three from the field. The only bench points the Bucks got were from Sierra Purdue with two. Another good day for Lee Stafford. You know, six of eleven. She's starting to believe. I mean, you're,
0: you're watching that, but it, it seems like, again, I'm back in the studio or listening in from the side, mm-hmm. it seems like she's starting to figure out how good she can be.
2: Yeah, no, I, I think you're you're right on. 18 points, 9 rebounds, and so she averages, what, 23.5 for the week and 7 rebounds per game as well for the week. So uh, she that's the message they've been trying to get through to her, is when you're in the gym, more often than not, you're going to be able to get Whatever you want, especially when you're shooting it the way that you are over the last number of games. Now, this is where I give her the most credit. She missed some threes badly in that first half. And of course, the whole team was struggling. It's not just on her that they only scored 11 points in the first half, but she missed some threes badly. And she came out in the second half with a renewed sense of belief. Rather than having that break her, she still was solid throughout the rest of the first half after those bad misses and throughout. The second half. So she showed up. Unfortunately, uh, the Bucks didn't get much from Shania Jackson. Again, we talked about a couple early fouls, you know, and that's really the big thing for Shania. If she can stay out of foul trouble off the bench and on the floor, that will be good news for her and the box. Wasn't able to do that on Saturday.
0: Nailed the Friday preview where I said, you know, if you could just take Boyd, Twitty, or Solomon out of the game, you're fine. Boy, <laughs> literally. But Boyd literally. literally didn't play. And I'm like, you know, because if you do that and you just hold him to, you know, ho-hum games, you're fine. What I didn't know was Solomon and Twitty weren't going to go for 43. 29 by Solomon. And, and 19, 19 rebounds. rebounds. Right? Yeah, so glad to see my scouting report was uh, spot on. I know we've been bad at bowl predictions, but I couldn't have been more off uh, on that. Now, again, I, I think admittedly so. If you, you would have said Solomon's going to have about 30, then I would have said, yeah, it doesn't really matter what anybody else does. But I really felt like, you know, if Twitty – and Solomon combined for maybe fourteen each, and they're at twenty-eight. Okay, now you got a, a good opportunity with no Boyd again. Didn't know Boyd was, wasn't going to play, but it didn't matter. UNCG comes out and uh, really jumps out on top of ETSU and took the wind out of the sails.
2: Something we very briefly mentioned on Friday. You know, Solomon was really struggling coming into this game. You know, she leads the conference in scoring overall, but in league play, she was thirteenth. And her three-point percentage had dropped from 43% on the year. Really good shooter, right? 43% to 33%. Now, you've got to be really, really struggling this late in the season to fall 10% in the three-point mark over a five- or six-game span since ETSU had played you on CG last. She was two of her last 29, and I half-jokingly, half-painfully said to Coach Zell after the game, just your luck. I think she goes 2 for 29 coming into the game in her previous 29 three-point attempts. Goes 4 for 9 against you, and also then 5 for 6 from the free-throw line, 10 of 18 from the floor in that 29.6 rebound. Affair. Probably going to be the Southern Conference Player of the Week, unfortunately for Elise Stafford, because she also scored 24, did Solomon the previous game against uh, Chattanooga, I believe it was, or was it Sanford? I can't remember which one. They lost that game, uh, but so 1-1 one one on the week. ETSU one-on-one with Lee Stafford who's probably the other in the running for the SOCOM player of the week. Both very good weeks. Now Stafford shot at like 61% while Solomon wasn't quite that from the floor. Um, And Stafford you know, now fifth in uh, ETSU history in three-pointers made in a game with a six that she made against Western Carolina. But two really good players. Fun to see them go back and forth. And unfortunately for the Bucs I could hear Brittany Azell when the gym got really quiet when Dean Solomon would put up a three and she was just going whap well, she knew they were in. She absolutely knew. She saw the look in Solomon's eyes. She's been around her for quite some time, seen her in the league, and she's Nadine Solomon really wreaked havoc on a lot of the league. So it seemed like Brittany Zell knew it. It seemed like a lot of the gym knew it. When that ball went in the air, you're just holding your breath, praying it wouldn't go in. But when she is on like that, it's really tough to beat UNCG, especially considering they're allowing 54 points per game.
0: And she's now 6 for 14 on the season from 3 against CTSU, so mm-hmm. 43% summer for some reason she was just one of five i don't know why i had it in my head i thought she had hit i thought she was four for nine against the bucks in that first game but obviously very wrong as i went back and just checked that out i i I thought that was the second game in a row she went four for nine but needless to say she was incredible and uh, set the tone and etsu just shot 34 percent just 24 percent from three the 20 turnovers you know they actually won the rebounding game, which I, I you know, which is Big a per- positive. I was going to say, especially considering the type of rebounders that Greensboro usually has, but just the six assists. And I think Coach said so much in the post game, if I remember correctly, talking before we took the air that she was disappointed on the six assist number for ETSU. Well,
2: and it's so strange because you come off a game against Western Carolina in which you have the third highest assist to field goal percentage ratio in the Brittany Zell era. So seven years and you get. 17 assists on 23 field goals against western carolina thursday third best if you want to say that's a quote-unquote best stat i like to think it is because it shows the teams playing together you're knocking down shots one thing's leading to the other and success on the offensive end just overall and then you go six assists which is, I believe, a season low, tied for a season low. The other one was against Tennessee in the season opener. So, you know, it's been three months since he had uh, that few of assists. I'll oh, pardon me, take out the uh, Sanford game as well, where he had three assists. So second fewest on the year, uh, but six on 16 field goals. And it's two things that Coach Zell talked about post game, and she's mentioned with you before, consistently inconsistent, right? And that just showed a microchasm of it Thursday to Saturday against Western Carolina. And UNCG, and when you have the 45 points, it's obviously going to be tough to maneuver. And now it's 45 and 47 against UNCG. And she did mention the second thing I was going to discuss is those turnovers. And UNCG on the men's side, you know it very well. They're very good at the atomic bombs, quote unquote, live ball turnovers that turn into points on the other end. And what the big issue was in the first game against UNCG for the ETSU women in that first quarter, which they're now minus 25, and against UNCG in two games was turnovers or rebounds that lead to runouts, and getting out in transition, playing with pace, going down the floor, and getting those fast break points. That's really what hurt the Bucks the first time around. This time 20 turnovers turns into 18 points off turnovers. Um, so that was an unfortunate part of this evening as well because uh, the Bucks just can't do that against a team like UNCG with or without Aja Boyd. You needed to stop Solomon and Twitty. Sure, there's that. But you also couldn't commit as many turnovers as you did and allow those to be successes on the other end for UNCG. And, you know, it's the same song and dance for the Spartans. The beat goes on because that's how they win games. And going into the game, I was kind of worried that it, this would be a lot like that first game just because UNCG is so good at what they do. And it's not to say the Bucks, you know, with the tweak here, tweak there, couldn't have been competitive in this game. Um, but... The Spartans just have a conviction about them on the defensive end, and that's what you know. Coach Forbes talks about with the men's side. Why well, ETSU is so solid. What you talked about in segment one. It's just really hard to beat a team that believes in themselves on that end of the floor, especially when they have as good of a scorer as you've seen in program history for the Spartans on the offensive end. So this is going to be a team that I think a lot of people coming into the year maybe weren't believers in, but you look now, very senior heavy, improved over the last couple of years. They're going to be right in the mix. They're going to be right up there, and if it comes down to whose style of play fits winning a Southern Conference championship and who can exert their authority, i put the Spartans right up there with anybody else.
0: I mean, again, you look at the standings, and it's I know nothing about the Southern Conference women's basketball. Every week – I think I'm starting to figure it out, and and then I don't because Sanford's now six and three, Wafford six and three, UNCG six and three, Furman and Chattanooga at five and four, ETSU and Mercer with Mercer two big wins over Wofford and Furman they're now three and six, and in West Carolina, right with a huge win over was it Chattanooga, Chattanooga, and now they're two and seven. I mean it's unbelievable. the the, the conference tournament legitimately on the women's side is, is as much credit as the men get for four or five teams that could do it, six, seven teams on a women's team. Yeah, uh, I mean, other than – and West Carolina might be able to win a game. There's no way they're winning three in a row. But I could still make an argument for every team that could win three in a row. It, it's unbelievable to see where the standing goes. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a little separation just because there's four teams that don't play Thursday. So it would be interesting to see. There'll be some odd – right now everybody's played nine games – It'll be that way for a a couple of weeks, but Chattanooga's at Furman, ETSU's at Wofford, then those two will flip, then Saturday UNCG at Western, and Sanford at Mercer now turns into a big game on Saturday. So interesting to see how it goes. Of course, for ETSU, they got two huge road games coming up with Wofford and Sanford, but five teams within a game of the top seed right now for the Southern Conference women's basketball that could be one of the more sneaky good tournaments or at least entertaining tournaments in the country
2: and when you see Mercer do what they did to Wofford and Furman this past week you know the fact that the Bucks are going into the same stretch and they're tied with Mercer in the standings you know it it just underscores how unpredictable the league is Wofford we remember what they did to ETSU the first time around, 76-47. to 47. Um, Just a really solid day for the Terriers all around on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. We'll talk more about that on Wednesday. And then Furman, you know, I, I'm starting to have a hard time delineating between the best upsets, biggest upsets, most unlikely upsets in the conference. What's 1 through 5, 10, 15? Because it seems like there's been – that many um they've been the victim of a couple of those uh and you know you look at sanford now who started to look like oh maybe they're the real deal but that was halfway through the year and it's a 14 game league season it's not a seven game league season and they've lost two in a row now so it's just back and forth up and down which should give etsu hope belief as it has apparently with mercer with what they were able to do this past week and picking up those two big wins. So got to have confidence going on the road. And, you know, I'll say this. It seemed like on Thursday, and granted, you know, afternoon games, I understand Saturday you're waking up early going into shoot-around, you know, probably getting to the gym at like 8, and your shoot-around's at 9. You're probably not going to be as awake as a 2 o'clock shoot-around on a Thursday. I understand that. But there was just a lot of energy. There was a lot of... Uh, passion it seemed like, and, and it didn't seem like anything was going to bring ETSU down on Thursday. And maybe that's just because they had Western Carolina coming in and they had already beaten them. But I think a lot of this team is confidence and is going in knowing that you can do what Coach Azell and the coaching staff believe you can do, you know, because they think this team is really solid. And, and I do too. You know, Micah Sheets, Elise Stafford, Ty, Kimbrush, and I Jackson, and then throwing Kaya Upton. When, when you've got all five of those players at their best, And the problem is you got to get them at their best on the same day. But when you do that, they're as good as any team in this league. The problem is there's not a lot of room for error. And when you don't have one or two of those players, and definitely not three of those players as we've seen in the stats throughout the year, when you don't have one, two, or three of them all on the same page, all working together, all playing their best, all fluidly moving around the court and uh, going towards the rim and playing off each other, then it's a struggle. So, Whatever they have to do over the next couple of days to go into this road trip to Wofford and Furman and be on that same page as what they have to do. Otherwise, as we saw with Wofford at Brooks Gym earlier this year in that 29-point loss and even a couple of days earlier with uh, Furman. Now, granted, that game was a lot closer, not nearly as lopsided as the 19-point final indicates, but we know what can happen if the Bucks are operating independently. they got to come together as a team like they did against Western Carolina with those 17 assists on 23 field goals.
0: It'll be interesting to see how it goes. They, they, they stay healthy, hit some shots in Asheville, right? Never know. The Bucks have had a couple of runs under Coach Ezel, gotten to the title games. I haven't won one, but gotten a couple of title games. This year's goes any. I think they can get there as well. We'll step aside for a timeout. When we come back, our new favorite segment of the week: foul downs. Foul downs. After this timeout, center side kick on the Buccaneers. Sports Network.
1: Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash. Only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. One, two, three, fail. One, two, three, fail.
2: One, two, three, fail. Mm-hmm. One, two, three. Fail down. One, two, three. Fail. One, two, three. Fail. One, two, three. Fail. One, two, three. Fail down. Fail now. Fail now. Fail.
0: Fail. Fail down. fail down.
2: <laughs> ba, ba, ba. <laughs> Big fan of faildowns. Yep. Speaking of energy and passion and excitement, this segment always brings, brings energy, it. passion, yeah. and excitement. As the Minnesota Timberwolves did not down the stretch against the Sacramento Kings, January 27th in our first. First fail. First fail. First fail. Not the first or the last fail, though, for the Timberwolves over like the entire length of their franchise. Kings trailed the Timberwolves by 17 points with two minutes And 49 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Since the 1996-97 season, the first year of play-by-play data, so keep in mind that this streak could be much longer than it actually is quoted in this tweet by ESPN Stats and Info, NBA teams entered the day over that 24-season period 0-8,378 when trailing by 17 or more in the final three minutes of the fourth quarter overtime. The Kings won. One thirty-three to one twenty-nine. The, the miracle
0: OT. shot, right, to get it to overtime. When, when there uh, some ridiculous shot that got it to overtime? Intentional miss on the free throw. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did see that. That that is an an impressive collapse for your Timberwolves. Collapsing Oof. day by day
2: for the eight, last nineteen 8, years.
0: Th- I'm sorry, eight thousand and what? Eight thousand three hundred
2: seventy-eight consecutive losses for teams trailing by seventeen or more under three minutes to go.
0: That's incredible.
2: Eight. Thousand three hundred seventy eight. Here's I'll give you another one. This was actually a good thing for Minnesota sports. It was some summer game at Target Field like a, It's Twins versus somebody. I don't even remember who. This was probably seven or eight years ago, and the Twins were down five runs going to the bottom of the ninth inning, and Brian Dozier ends up hitting like a three run walk off bomb over the left field fence. Crowd goes nuts, the you know, 15,000 people that were there that night, even though it was a beautiful night, it was, but no one cared because the Twins weren't very good. Uh, hits that bomb, and ESPN stats and info puts out something that was like teams with a five-run or more lead entering the ninth were 1,082-0, and 0. and then the Twins made it 1,082-1 and 1 with that comeback. But for every good Minnesota moment, there's one that is literally eight times worse as this Timberwolves one is, oh, and 8,378 were teams in the position of I mean, the I Sacramento mean, and, Kings.
0: And in fairness, five runs in baseball is not as instrumental to me as 17 with three Mexico It doesn't seem basketball. like it, does it? It does not. It
2: doesn't. Now, I'll say this. Like, Major League pitching, five runs with three outs to play with, that's a lot to be able to make up, right? Like, that's going to be really difficult as the O for 1,082 or whatever. But if, if you're still
0: handicapping and you go – I can give yeah. you down five and a ninth or 17 in the third. Maybe because there's more time, but still 17, 17 and the third. 17 with 249 left in the yeah, fourth quarter. Just, okay.
2: Well, good. congratulations. So you're saying the Timberwolves was a massive fail. One of the
0: biggest fails you've heard? It's one of these, sure.
2: Second fail. I think it's a bigger fail than this fail, though this is a pretty big fail, too, considering he lords over the country. Super Bowl Sunday. Congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs. On a great game and a fantastic comeback under immense pressure, you represented the great state of Kansas. (laughs) And, in fact, the entire USA (laughs) so very well. Our country is proud of you. Donald Trump
0: tweeting that to
2: the Kansas City Chiefs.
0: I I didn't realize he had tweeted that until I saw Patrick Mahomes wearing a shirt that said the Super Bowl champions of Kansas, but it was on (laughs) the state of Missouri. And I'm sitting there staring at it. I'm like, what in the world is he? And then I had to do a a quick search and then discovered – the tweet from Don. is is it is it a fail that the president doesn't know where Kansas City well to be fair uh, there is a Kansas City Kansas City so it is
2: the third largest city in Kansas though the address of the Kansas City Chiefs won arrowhead drive Kansas City Missouri 64129
0: and it is still Kansas's team too it's not like Kansas doesn't pull for, for the chiefs it it is quite comical though that that's sort of how that broke down and he did say in
2: fact the entire USA is very proud of you as well. So he did cover himself a little bit by saying, eh, just in case on the off chance that Kansas City happens to be in a different state, in Missouri, in Nebraska, in Oklahoma, wherever. uh, I'm just going to go ahead and throw the entire USA out there. And I will say this. It is true. They did represent the USA very, very well in their 21 point over the last six minutes and 30 seconds of football uh, as they did. I will say this too. I've been to Kansas City, both Kansas and Missouri. You cross over from Missouri to Kansas... And it is quite frightening. Kansas City, Missouri, fun, cool, awesome. Kansas City, Kansas, just a little bit different. So uh, I would stick to the Missouri side if I were President Trump, if I were the Kansas City Chiefs, and if I were anyone going to the area. Third fail. Mark D'Antonio resigns from Michigan State as the head football coach about a week or so ago. I thought the timing just a little bit strange. And as it turns out, there was a little bit more to the story that I'll let you fill in.
0: Well, the first thing is it was like 20 days after he got his $4.3 million retention check.
2: Important that you say first thing, too, because there are multiple things.
0: The next thing that we found out was an hour before that, one of his assistants had turned him over for multiple, (laughs) not just violations of NCAA, but went to the moral standards of players that he didn't... uh, openly knew there was some sexual misconduct. They told him not to take him. The school didn't want to take him. He took him, and guess what? The player ended up with a sexual misconduct charge and dismissed from the team. And then the third thing is it's one day before signing day. Like, you had no idea the old, and, and I don't want to make fun of this, uh, the old situation where it's, I want to be with my family. And I get that. It happens. There are people... And sometimes it hit people at different times. But I find it odd. It Convenient was all, It was only after the $4.3 million was paid. And also one hour after all the allegations came out. And Antonio says, you know what? I'm just going to the house. I'm guessing he is not going to pay back any of that money. I'm guessing. I'll defend Nothing you. Nothing to unpack here, right? Nothing to unpack? You, you're fine?
2: I'll defend you. Even the CBS Sports article that does come off written, much like just a news reporting piece, not an op-ed, not opinion-based in any way, the decision to step down comes at an interesting time. D'Antonio is the subject of a lawsuit filed against the school by former Spartan staffer Curtis Blackwell, who is seeking more than $5 million. that's pretty close to, I think, the retention bonus that Mark D'Antonio got, so maybe that could go to cover it. $5 million in damages for wrongful termination. In the complaint, Blackwell alleges that D'Antonio, who has spent 13 years in Michigan State, committed multiple NCAA recruiting violations. And I have seen multiple tweets from, I don't know if it was parents or players that were committed to Michigan State. I know one for sure was a parent, and I saw a couple of others out there as well that were like, we kind of feel like we've gotten the rug pulled out from under us just a little bit. And I'm quite sure that Michigan State feels the same.
0: I, I'm sure they do. And, and again, it's the nasty side of sort of college athletics because you can say, and, and people, let's get over it. You are, they're committed to the school. It should matter to the coaches. No, no, no. It, it does matter because the front door to the school is the coaching staff, right? It's a, unless you grew up a lifelong Spartan fan. And if you did, you could care less if Coach Antonio is there or not. That being said, out of the 20-some guys I'm sure they signed, probably 15 of them were not growing up to be Spartan fans. They were trying to figure out the best fit, the best style. This is the coach that they felt comfortable with. The parents felt comfortable about sending their kids there. And then he pulls out from underneath them. So it's just... It it seems a bit ridiculous, uh, and uh, you know I I hate it for Michigan State. I'm guessing, yeah. I was gonna say, you feel
2: that? Yeah, the energy in the room certainly not of empathy from Jay Sanders. I'm guessing Michigan State even more upset now that four coaches have turned down the job in less than a week. Most recently, Cincinnati head coach, yeah, saw that Luke Fickle,
0: no Fickle,
2: not very fickle about that decision. fourth fail.
1: I'm sick to my stomach
0: right now. Let it out. Let it out. It's not
2: a
1: game we should lose. I mean, we're just a better team than them, and they beat us twice this year. It's it's a sickening feeling. I could swallow losing losing to a team like ETSU or UNCG on the road, but losing to a team like that at home, I haven't felt this sick all year after a loss.
2: Bigger fail, Matt Ryan in the Super Bowl <laughs> against the New England Patriots or Matt Woo! Ryan in that soundbite? Or is it people crushing Matt Ryan like myself for coming out and just talking about how he feels about losing?
0: Obviously, I it's the, the bite Matt Ryan-Chattanooga after two losses to Western, right? This is after the second loss Correct. to Western. And it's funny because you, we want to hear athletes give us legitimate answers, right? All the time. But here's the problem. When you give legitimate answers, sometimes you're going to get hammered. Because if he gave the cliche of all this other stuff, nobody's going to say anything. To me, I like that Matt Ryan had enough gall to say, after we've been beaten twice by a team, by gosh, we're still better. This one hurts because we're better. We should be better. We should be beating them, and we haven't. And I take this personally because we didn't beat them. Like, to me, I like that, you know. Uh, now, if you're West Carolina, which – I saw more football guys from West Carolina tweeted back at him like, "Come on, dude, you're zero 2 you're not better, you're not better. If you're better, you'd beat us. Because there's only one way to prove if you can beat somebody, in my book, right? Beat them. That's right. You play it, and who wins is better. That's all there is to it, you know. And is it only better on that day? Who cares? You, you, you played. There's a winner. There's a loser. You move on. That, that's how it is. And West Carolina not did it once. They did it twice. Did it at their place. Then they went to Chattanooga, and Chattanooga was playing pretty good basketball and won again. So uh, I feel Matt Ryan. I like that he's he's being that, but you're 0-2 for a reason against him. I have
2: lots of critiques. Personally, I think the bigger bigger fail is Matt Ryan in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Absolutely. And it's 28-3 go. Yeah, it's tough. So Matt Ryan, at least you're off the hook that way. He's my favorite quarterback. Go. Two losses to Western Carolina, 87-77. to That first one was back on December 3rd. Third. What did
0: Matty Ice do in that?
2: Matty Ice took 10 threes and made two of them. Matty Ice fouled out. Matty <laughs> Ice, 20 field goals to get to 18 points. Matty Ice, not so icy.
0: Okay. And that was at Western, right? That
2: was at Western. Okay. At Chattanooga, the team put up 61 points. Their leading score, Matty Ice, 29 minutes, four more fouls. So nearly fouls out again. 12 points, second leading score on the team, tied with Ramon Villa. eh. Took eight threes, made four of them. Okay, so you're so having six a pre- for eighteen. You're having a pretty career. good, but you're having a pretty good day that day, right? Like you're four for eight from downtown. Your team needs some buckets late. Go ahead and take the ball. You're the leading scorer. You played at two power fives in your career before coming to Chattanooga, and when all is said and done, he has twelve points and down the stretch, a non-factor. Down the stretch. Mm-hmm a non-factor how many shots did he take in the last let's see let me go back to I'm gonna go ahead and count this up you go ahead and give your take while I count this up and make more fun of Matt Ryan
0: I mean <laughs> I, I again I think you have an opportunity to win a game and the first time you play him you know Western was kind of in that hot streak where they're winning all those games and chat was really not because it was in early December 7th. And then Chat really kind of started to figure out, they started to knock some teams off, started to win some games, hot shooting, just beat Furman. I mean, they're, they're you know playing some pretty good basketball. And then boom at home where they have circled that game, I think, to beat Western Carolina because, A, I'm sure everybody wants to defend their home floor, but it's also like, hey, we can avenge this loss. Seems like he poured his heart and soul into that because he did fall out the first game, and then he couldn't get it done and, and was not able to make plays. To win the game Well
2: here I'll go ahead and give you the final 10 minutes of the day For Matt Ryan Against Western Carolina in the 64-61 defeat 9.58 to go in the second half Missed 3 pointer Then 33 seconds later An assist Okay Assist Matt Ryan Tremon Vila On a layup Then He doesn't have a stat for 5 minutes Then Turns it over with 2.40 left Then Misses a 3 with 55 seconds left Commits one foul Then another foul And the game's over Not exactly a game-changing performance down the stretch. I guess
0: that's why he's upset.
2: That being said, I'll defend him in the fact that I think that more athletes should speak out like this. Believe in your team. You think that your team is one of the better in the SoCon, definitely better than Western Carolina get a fight against DTSU, UNCG, okay, you're all right with that. But you look at Western, you played him twice, you lose twice, guaranteed. I get that. You're going to get made fun of. And granted, it's probably not the best response once you've lost twice. But you're frustrated, and you think that your team is better than the other team. I don't hate that. But you're also opening yourself up to major criticism when you have lost two games to that team, the only two you played against them. I am praying
0: for a Southern Conference well, postseason and say, matchup. It is Pray. not out of the realm that Western and Chat could meet in the 4-5 game. Please. Wofford still has to play ETSU, Furman, and UNCG. Losses. And I think they have to play Western as well. So Western's got something to say uh, about that. So I I think there's a chance those two teams could meet in the 4-5 game, and what a spectacular 4-5 game. And because I'm believing ETSU is going to be the one seed, let those guys just beat up on each other and be in a bloodbath and then not have a lot left in the tank for the next one
2: <laughs> that's, that's me after chattanooga and western carolina fight it out and matt ryan loses again to western carolina in the postseason tournament uh, then what would be, season the, over the
0: trash talk that would be going back and forth during that would be <laughs> that's cannot it that would look like all right well, we'll do a bold a very quick because we don't need to spend any more time than we have to and bold prediction recap right after this time out santo kick buccaneer sports network
2: an inside look at buccaneer basketball is back this winter with the etsu radio coaches show Monday nights all season long, Steve Forbes and Brittany Azell join Voice of the Bucks Jay Sandoz live from Wild Wing Cafe at 71 Wilson Avenue in downtown Johnson City. It's a 6 o'clock start as Forbes and Azelle field your questions, reflect on results, and preview upcoming action. The ETSU Radio Coaches Show every Wednesday at 6 right here on WXSM AM 640, The Sports Monster. Everyone in the stadium and across the NFL world is aware
1: that quarterback Andrew Luck decided to retire.
0: Antonio Brown ditches practice again after another issue with his helmet. There
2: is
1: a code that has been broken here with Antonio Brown. He's just not a good human.
0: But unless you've been living under a rock, you guys all know that the AAF is folded.
2: I'm going to hit whoever that was with the rock. Well, a rock. Wide receiver Josh Gordon has been
1: reinstated and is now eligible to return to New England.
0: The great Bill Belichick
2: keeps giving Gordon chances. He's a nice guy. What do you want? Tennessee head coach Rick Barnes told reporters flat out if UCLA had paid his buyout, he probably would be at UCLA now instead of at Tennessee.
0: What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. A simple wrong would have done just fine.
2: Where's somebody to make fun of me about the Fletcher McGee prediction? I don't hear anything there. Getting made fun of for everything here. suppose we have to make fun of ourselves for more terrible predictions. I've hit an all-time low. I'll just say it. it right off the top of all predictions recap from Friday's predictions. I said that Louisville and Virginia. Nailed it would score under 90 combined. And not only that, ETSU men's basketball would score 90 or more. And so I doubled down, basically made a third prediction, and said the Bucks would score more than Louisville and Virginia combined. And both of those teams scored as much or more than the Bucks did on their own. 73 for Virginia, 80 for Louisville, the Bucks, 73.
0: I can't make fun of that because I took St. Mary's to upset Gonzaga, and they lost by 30 on their home floor. Mm. t. And the only thing I know for sure is that Gonzaga will throw the championship game to St. Mary's and lose by 30, and then Coach will do, coach Few will do what he always does. Well, you know, we just had a bad scout because, you know, you've only beaten them by 60 combined in two games, and then somehow you forgot how to play them. And his kickback he gets from the West Coast Conference, and I'm still convinced happens go.
2: I think in a backwards way, we combined got the prediction right because Gonzaga scored 90. The Bucks didn't score 90, but they scored as many as Virginia and almost as many as Louisville. I don't know if I'm being convincing or not. Yeah. I'm also not good because I said Ty Kimbrough would come back, which he did. was happy about that. got half of that bowl prediction right, but we don't give half points. The other part of the bowl prediction was she would score a career high in points. And rather than score a career high end points, she had zero points.
0: I thought ATSU win by sixteen or more. Didn't happen, and I think we can skip the last. Go minute. Guardians! And the Woo! my my Vipers. The
2: XFL is I'm, back. It is legit. It is my favorite. I've Go already, Guardians!
0: I've already started the Firemark trust me. XFL thread.
2: Why are you panicking right away?
0: Off air, you're telling how me how in the world the XFL can you not? only one weekend. How can you not? Go for it. You're down 17 in the rules they got. It's two scores with a touchdown and all those extra points. Get the field goal. Hey, it's only week one. It is only week one. You know what, though? Week two. Week one. The Guardians beat the Vipers, and they will not wow, play again, God, hopefully God. for the rest
2: of the season. I am better than you, at least in the XFL. Not in both predictions, unfortunately, because I still have 15 right and you have 18 right. But... There are still three more ball predictions to go, and I think that next week the strategy is a turn. get out a dartboard and just throw a dart at random things that are assigned to random bowl. Vipers
0: are on the road next week. They'll get back on track and see it. All-time They're low, weak. but at least go Guardians! All right, you gotta do it. Sandoz back with you Wednesday on another edition on the air Sports Network.
1: See ya.